0: Hey there, welcome to the RIM Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The RIM Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message.
1: This is, I guess, the first time to be able to tell you guys in person uh, Happy New Year. Um, it's wild to think that this is, oh man, one handed. We got this. Uh, to think that, man, this is the first time in 2022 that we've had a chance to actually gather together. And uh, we have most definitely missed you. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Drew. And it's my joy to get to be a pastor here at The Rim. A uh, couple just fun facts about me, in case you were curious. Uh, I am not a sleepwalker, uh, if you were curious, uh, at least that I know of. Uh, but my wife, uh, not to push her under the bus, she does talk in her sleep, uh, which is very interesting. It uh woken up probably every other night with a, a fun-filled, uh, incoherent conversation. But This week, I read a few articles on sleepwalking and heard this particular story countless times, just reiterated in different ways. And this one specific, there was this one night a young woman named Stacy woke up while in her car driving it, and she's in pajamas, and she's crying hysterically. And she kind of comes to, she recognizes where she is, uh, but she had no idea how she got there, and she had no clue why she was crying. so she pulls into a parking lot and waited until she had done been like stopped crying for no apparent reason, and then she just drove back home at three o'clock in the morning, okay uh, driving down these streets and making her way through life, unconscious. Like this was the story that I heard over and over again in, uh, in reading about sleepwalking. Now you may be like, okay, Drew, that's pretty random. Why, why bring that up? Like why, why even mention that? And, and here's why. Because I, though many of us, sleepwalking is maybe not something we wrestle with, I think on a more metaphorical level, that many of us, this is how we spend a majority of our lives. That, that I've heard recently said that majority of us are zombies by day and insomniacs by night just kind of sleepwalking through life, like that all of a sudden there's so many moments in our life that we realize that we're behind the wheel, but we don't know how we got where we're going. Or maybe there's the emotions that flood us, and and we're overwhelmed, and we're weeping, and then we're like, okay, I'm not really fully sure what's even going on. That many of us, we blink, and life just kind of happens to us. That many of us are sleepwalking through life, through relationships, and even through our walk with Jesus, if we're honest. And so this year, our, our hope has been what we've kind of claimed and said hey, well, our focus in for the vision for 2022 has just been this one word, and the word is awaken. That, that our hearts would be awakened, that we would, we would stop sleepwalking, and then all of a sudden that maybe something would happen in each one of our hearts, that we'd be awoken to what God is doing in and around us, that we would get invited into the deeper end of, of who Jesus is. And our hope and our prayer is that, that many of us would experience Jesus like we've never experienced before. That we're also asking God to awaken our house churches that our community would experience Jesus like never before. And that ultimately, our city. That many people in our lives connected to our church by relationship. That many people would, 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 would take their first step in following after Jesus. And they would see him as the treasure that he promises that he is. So that's kind of been like our, our hope. And we shared that last week. And so if you missed that, man, you can jump on the podcast and check it out. But... Here, here's, this is going to kind of lead us. Like This is going to be our focus for the, for the rest of the year. And we're going to enter in just a few weeks into a season of fasting and praying for this specifically. Praying for a, a personal awakening in our heart and praying that God would awaken our, our community and that God would awaken our city. And, and I love, like, you're going to get to hear more about, we've got these amazing packets. Uh, and it's, we're going to start this January 31st in and, and 30 days of, of fasting and praying, asking God to move in our city. And what I love about that is, is, is we're going to do this not as individuals. This is a lot of times the way I see this done. It's like, hey, uh, umbrella-wide, we're all, like, you know, we're all going to be fasting, but you kind of do this on an individual level. Well, we're going to be stepping into this and going, hey, you no, know, as a community, what does it look like for us to fast and pray? And not just as the Rim church, but there are two other churches that are partnering with us that are going to be walking side by side, doing the exact same thing alongside of us. One of the churches actually is planting today in downtown. That's their first official day. They're planting and they're like, hey, two weeks from now, we're jumping in with you. But it's not, yeah, that's awesome. But it's not only that, that we're also joined with several churches in Houston, several churches outside of Dallas, and churches throughout the U.S. and even Canada that are going to be walking alongside of us in this journey, praying for the exact same things in their particular season and city, okay? So with that, what we're going to do is we're going to spend these next two weeks, this week and next week, preparing for that season, talking about praying and fasting. And if I could boil it down to to like kind of really a simple definition, prayer and fasting is simply asking for and then making space for an awakening. The prayer and fasting, don't miss this, doesn't guarantee an awakening, but there has never, never in the history of the world, been a major movement of God that was not marked by prayer and fasting. So it doesn't doesn't guarantee it, but it doesn't happen without it. Prayer and fasting is asking for and making space for an awakening. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend these next few weeks. Next week, we're going to dive into this this idea of fasting and what it looks like to make space for an awakening. But today, we're going to start the journey in prayer and asking for an awakening. Okay? So if you have your Bible... Just like Peter read, I want you to turn to this. I want you to see it, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 14. Okay? This is the passage we just looked at, and it's extremely popular. Okay? Many of you, even without church background, you've maybe seen that verse, that you've seen it on billboards, that maybe you've seen it in front yards, on bumper stickers, or even reposted uh, on Facebook. The problem is that oftentimes it's taken out of context. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Okay. So I want to give us a quick context of this verse and we see it in the previous chapter. Okay. In seven and really kind of in six. And what's happening here is King Solomon and the Israelites have finally built the temple. They finally built the temple that this is where, where God's presence dwelled. This is where the people of God could actually go meet with God. Okay, now if you think in the earlier the Old Testament, God's presence was usually thought to manifest itself in certain places. Okay, so if you think uh, for Abraham and Moses, it was, it was like Mount Sinai, that they would go to the mountaintop. And this is where they would meet with God at the top of the mountain. Does that make sense? It's where Moses gets uh, the, the Ten Commandments. Okay, within God's presence, while as they walk through the wilderness, it chooses to manifest itself inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so it's inside of the Ark of the Covenant, moves with its people. And then they would kind of set up shop in the middle of the desert and they would build uh, a giant tent, a tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant would make its way in. And they would set this thing up and they would tear it down as they moved. OK, so you think it's crazy about our setup and teardown situation that we've got going on down here. Uh, there's giant, I mean, huge. I think we have pictures of it, actually. This giant, there's the Ark of the Covenant, the Mount Sinai in the back. Yeah, like that's what they set up and tear down. Uh, crazy. So this nomad people moving its way through the wilderness, that this is where God would meet them, the tent of meeting. Finally, they make their way into the promised land, the land that God was gonna give the people of Israel. And what they want is they want a permanent temple for God's presence to to reside. And so Solomon finally gets the green light to do it. And they build this, this, this beautiful temple And then all of a sudden they sacrifice, they're worshiping, they're praying, and God meets them in this moment. That the temple's built, and this is all about, I want you not to to, to miss this, that God speaks to his people and he says this, he says, I hear you, I see you, and even if you run away from me, even if you step away from my hand of blessing, that there's still a chance, there's still hope for an awakening and that's just the context. It's all about relationship and intimacy, okay? And so that's what we see. So that's the context of this verse. So we're just going to read it one more time, and then you can see it to be true. Here's what it says, starting in verse 12. It says, I've heard your prayer. This is God speaking. I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place, the temple, for myself as a temple of sacrifice, And if I shut the sky so there's no rain or I command the grasshopper to consume the land or if I send pestilence on my people and my people who bear my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, if you look at the key verse, which is 14, so when we we zero in on that. And what I want you to do is I want you to kind of use zero into the very center of this verse. You see the key word and the key word is the word pray. It's the word pray, which this morning begins to beg the question, what exactly is prayer? What, what, what even is prayer? Now, you, you hear stories all, all the time about people praying and God, God moving. And specifically in our church, I man, we have my wife and I have been overwhelmed by, I man, just the prayers that you guys have just like I me, mean, literally out loud, I man, through text messages and audio messages, even time in this space, been praying over our son, and um, and just to give you, I, we're not going to spend too much of an update. I just want you to see just a, a bit of an answered prayer, and we have this this picture of six months ago. This is our son, Lyndon. And we had no, like, there's just sometimes you don't even think about, like, when you look back, you're like, whoa. Like, Jane sent this to me this week, and I was like, wait, who is that? Wait, oh, my gosh, that's our son. Six months ago. And through our our prayers and obviously lots of hospital visits, and we're not out of the woods, but, like, I want you to see my son today, like, side by side. Like, and, and we believe with confidence that God stepped in and he answered our prayers and we're watching our son grow. And so we, 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 we thank him for that. We give him full credit for it. But can we be honest? How many of us know similar stories? Like I know, I know personally of stories where, where friends have, have had a child and they end up in the NICU and then we get together and we pray for God to move, to do something. And then in the days ahead, that family has to say goodbye to their child or bury them. Like, that, that, that happens. And, like, and then you, you're left with these questions of, like, like, what, what is prayer? God, do you really answer? Like, does, does he answer some, but not all? Is it sometimes, but not all the time? Does God always answer prayers? It's just sometimes the answer's no. And sometimes people will, will say things like, well, we, we prayed, and God showed up, and he did a miracle. Well, then... Where was God the rest of the time? Was God, was he somewhere else doing something else and then apparently decided to show up here and do something that hadn't been done? I mean, let's just be honest. Can we we do that today? No wonder prayer is so confusing. And then sometimes we'll hear people say, well, you you just don't understand that that God, God is just going to do what God's going to do. Then why pray? Or others will say, "But you don't understand. God can do anything," which begs the question: Then why doesn't He? Can we be honest? I I I feel like you know I'm asking these questions, and I feel a sense in the room. We get a little uncomfortable. But here's the truth: We leave this place, and these are the questions that our hearts are asking. Like these are what we wrestle with when we're alone with God. And it gets confusing. So here, here's, my, I want, here's what I want to do. Today, as we talk about prayer, I want to simplify this as much as possible. I want to give us a few handles on like what keeps us from prayer. And then I'm just going to kind of show us like maybe how we can pray one way. Cool. Very, very simple. And hopefully a lot of applications. So if you have a notebook or your phone or whatever you take notes, I encourage you to please do this because I want what God is going to speak to us through his word to live on beyond just these few moments. And I'm hoping that this isn't just like we get spurred on and we're encouraged and we're excited about prayer and like, that's fun, that's really cool. Maybe I'll try it this week. Like this isn't me giving you a pep talk on why you should work out more. Like for us to be able to give us handles to go, okay, what, what, how do we actually do this? And that my hope is that maybe even in our time together, that God would revolutionize your prayer life in 2022 and beyond, starting with something he's doing right here. Okay, so that's my hope. So jot these things down, okay? Here is a, a simple functioning definition of prayer. From, from me, there's probably much better ones, but this is just for me, okay? Here it is. Prayer, simplified, is the pursuit of intimacy with God. Period. Prayer is the pursuit of intimacy with God. It's an invitation into intimacy. If you think about just like even the way that like I pursue my wife through conversation, through date nights, through acts of service, gifts, by sharing our hearts with one another, and then sometimes I pursue my wife just by sitting on the couch and saying nothing just sitting together in silence. All of these acts are pursuit of Jane's heart. It's an invitation to intimacy. And prayer is the exact same type of pursuit of God. Prayer is the pursuit of of intimacy with God. And scripture here is going to give us a major clue about what that looks like in these next few words. It says this, that to pray, and then he says to seek my face to seek my face don't miss this he does not say to pray and seek my law or seek my rules or seek my religion or seek re- like just rules or regulations or no no he doesn't even say seek my hands he says seek my face It's not about jumping through religious hoops or using God as a means to an end, but about the desire to be in his presence, seeking his face, and walking with God in an intimate way. Uh, I was challenged this week by reading just a missionary biography uh, of a woman named Dr. Helen Rosevere. We have a picture of her. And uh, she died in 2016, but spent, man, so many years uh, in the Congo, uh, just loving uh, a lot of actually, most of it, her work went to young kids and people with leprosy. And 11 years in, uh, to the ministry in Congo, Congo went uh, through a civil war. Uh, Peter, where are you at? By right there, 1964. Okay, just fact-checking. OK. Uh, after tons of, of trials, including like this, this woman went through multiple beatings, multiple beatings, and even at one point was brutally raped and left from inches of her life, And she had to leave, go back to England to heal, and in the moment she was healed, she returned back to the Congo. That God blessed their ministry in 250-bed hospitals she helped build. There's a maternity ward there. She began to train college uh, like, like doctors. Like it created like essentially a, hot, like a training school for doctors, a center for leprosy, and many, many other endeavors. And at the peak, I mean, there's p- points where she's wanting to quit. But in the moments of success, she feels like the Spirit of God like just speaks to her so clearly. And she was very honest. She's like, I don't have visions, but God spoke so clearly. And this is what, what God said to her. She said, He said, Helen, you no longer want Jesus only, but Jesus plus. Jesus plus respect, plus respect popularity, public opinion, success, plus pride. that You wanted to go out with all the trumpets blaring from a farewell due that you organized for yourself with photographs and tape recordings to show and play at home just to reveal what you had achieved. That you wanted to feel needed and respected. You wanted the other missionaries to be worried about how, they, how they'll ever carry on after you're gone. You'd like letters when you go home to tell how much they realize they owe to you and how much they miss you. All this and more. Jesus plus no. You cannot have it. Either it must be Jesus only or you will find no Jesus. Whoa. Like she feels God speak to her. This is a woman who has given her life to people in another country so they could hear the gospel. Like she's leveraging, I mean, beatings and rapes and she goes back to love these people and she does these amazing things and God still comes to her and goes, hey, listen, you you gotta be careful because you're going to make me a means to an end. That, That prayer has this tendency to be a means for us to get something else. And can I, can I just be honest with you? Just maybe a public confession. I'm sharing this with some of our staff of like how many times, like this even looking back over this last year of just times where it's about to step into this moment or to teach and just be begging God to move in a mighty way. God, would you, would you use this sermon? Would you use your word? Would you speak through me, your servant? Like, I, I can't do this. I don't have the ability to change a heart. Only you can do this. So you, you've got to step in. You've got to do this. Like, please speak to your people through me. And then we step into this moment and God moves. And then I, we, we, we walk out, we get to the parking lot, we go home and it's almost like, God, thanks, I'll see you Monday morning. God, I, I got what I, I needed. God, what I, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to have an amazing time. I, yeah, I wanted your spirit, I wanted it to show up, but really, I just didn't want to step up here alone. And so I got what I needed. Thank you. Now I'm done. That even in preaching, that I could use God as a means to get something else. And how often that, that that's that's what we've done. That's what we use God as a means to an end. And the truth is, He is the end. He's it, and prayer is the means. He is the end, and prayer is the means. Hear me, church. Prayer is not the pursuit of stuff. Prayer is the pursuit of intimacy with God. Do we want his face, or do we just want what's in his hands? Now, I want to give us real quick three elements of prayer I'm going to fly through these that we just see kind of broken down here in this verse that will help us. And then we're going to build on it, okay, that kind of talks about why, what kind of keeps us from prayer. The first thing that we see here in this verse is that there's a position of prayer. That verse 14 starts with, if my people who are called by my name. Now, I'll be real honest with you that this is the part uh, where this verse quickly gets taken out of context, okay, it gets hijacked. Uh, and I need you to look at me, and I need you to hear what I'm saying. and I need you not to misunderstand me, and don't read into this, okay? Please hear me. I love our country. I love America. I believe in a God who answers prayer. Like, I hope that, that America would shift its focus onto God and and godly morals, but hear me. This verse is not about the USA. This is not about the USA. The United States, please hear me, is not God's country. The United States is not God's people. This verse is about Israel. It's about Israel, and it's now about God's people, the church, the bride of Christ, okay? And so often, this one is taken out of context, and usually you see it followed by something about America. Now, should America pray? Yes, but we don't get to adopt this ancient verse and be like, that's us. He's talking about us, Americans, that's not, that's not what it is. And we can miss it if we don't realize that this is actually about the church now, God's people, his bride, followers of Jesus, that prayer is a privilege of God's children. Okay, don't miss that. So we see that there's this position, but there's also too, there's a posture of prayer that right surrounding the word prayer and seek the face, You see these two word, you see these two kind of commandments. You see if they humble themselves, And then you see if they turn from their evil ways, there's this repentance, there's this humility that allows us to step into the presence of God. And there's this repentance, a turning away from all the things that lead us away from King Jesus. So there's this posture that leads to the promise of prayer where the scripture says, God says that when my people pray, he promises that he will hear them, he will forgive them, and he will heal them. Okay, so that's God's promise to his people about their prayers, which I would venture to say none of us don't want. Like who who doesn't want God to hear them? Who doesn't want to receive forgiveness of the shame that so many of us carry? Who doesn't want to receive healing? But then what keeps us from praying and actually seeking God's face? Well, the opposite is actually true. Flip sides. I'm gonna flip it in a second, but I want you to I want you to hear this quote. I sent this to Peter this week, uh, and I literally read it and then just, like, just repented, just wept. And Thomas Watson, he said this. He said Christ went more readily to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. That Christ. Was quicker to climb onto a cross and be crucified than so many of us in approaching the throne of grace with confidence that's been afforded to us. So let's look. What keeps us? Well, starting at the bottom, we'll go back up to the top. The first is this we doubt the promise. I think we actually doubt the promise that this, I will hear, heal, forgive, heal. Like, I, I doubt keeps us from prayer. We doubt, if we're honest, that God actually hears us. Or we doubt that he's forgiven us. And so we feel stained, we feel broken, we feel like, no, we can't approach God. So we kind of, we step away and we, we doubt that he'll actually hear us and forgive us and heal us. We doubt that we're good enough. We, get, we doubt that God actually cares. We doubt that our request is important Uh, We doubt that we're doing it right. We question if we're performing prayer well enough. And so we doubt. I think another major part, if you want to boil it down for us, in 2022, the number one symptom of doubt is worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety all stems from doubt. Do we really trust that God is good and that he's in control. Matthew six twenty six. it says this. i talking about, hey, don't worry. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I saw this, this cartoon this week, and I thought it was just kind of funny and just a relief. And it, it's got this, this guy that's worried about expenses and bills, debts, and you could probably throw a bunch of other random stuff on there. And these two birds having a conversation and the first bird just says, what's eating him? And the second one says, I guess God doesn't care uh, of him or doesn't take care of him like he does us. Like we can laugh at it, but that's how a vast majority of us live our lives is that we doubt that God will actually care for us. We doubt his promises. I think the second thing that keeps us from praying is we dismiss the posture that we talked about. This posture that that humble ourselves and to like to walk away from wicked ways. Now, so here's what I want you to see. I'm gonna boil it down like this. Ultimately, if you would sum that up, sin will keep you away from praying. Sin in your life keeps you from prayer. That just like an offense against... Others, like think about this, like you offend someone else, that affects our relationship with them. The same thing happens with God. Sin puts a stress on the relationship with God. It's a breach. And just like Adam and Eve, the moment we sin against God, we have this tendency to go into hiding. We feel ashamed and we run. We hide behind our schedules, our work, our family responsibilities, our hobbies, and even our ministry but we hide and it keeps us from intimacy with God through prayer and a lack of prayer. Don't miss this. A lack of prayer is always a symptom of sin and its effects in your life. I'll just say it again in case we missed it. A lack of prayer is always a symptom of sin and its effects in your life, okay? Yeah, come on, man. Like I, I was really hoping New Year this is gonna be new me, feel good. I, dang, okay. But here's the beauty of it. At First John one nine makes this promise that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like, wow, what's crazy is that sin keeps us from prayer, but prayer actually leads us away from sin. Like, how crazy is that? I think the second part here is this humble themselves. And I think pride keeps us from prayer. Now, if we're honest, pride is at the root and the core of all sin, okay? But I want to kind of double click on this because I think for many of us, it kind of comes out more explicitly, okay? That pride keeps us from from prayer. I'm going to give us just three ways that I see it play out in my own life and the way I see it play out in my community. Okay, you ready? The first is this. It's pride through religion. It's pride through religion, okay? Now here's what I mean by that, okay? Because many of us like we're, we're fans of religion. This is a good thing, right? But but religion is all about earning. It's all about like, if I pray a certain way, if I do this a certain way, then, then God receives it, he hears it. And so we don't pray because we think that we've got to use certain words and we've got we've to be very impressive, which here, be very careful. Listen, if you, you believe that your prayer is only answered, if you do it a certain way, it moves it from prayer into actually witchcraft. Now it's, it's an incantation. And if I say it just right, then it unlocks something. And it puts it on you and your religious performance. Luke 18, Jesus tells this parable uh, about these, these two people going to pray, about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And it says this in 1811, it says, The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. They're greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, and even, or even like this tax collector here. He's like, I fast twice a week. I give tenth of everything I get to the church. But the tax collector here, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be Exalted. There's also this pride through religion, but I think also another thing that keeps us from prayer is pride through busyness. This one's going to sting a little bit, okay? So just go with me, okay? Many of us, if we're honest, I think probably one of the number one reasons we don't pray is, I'm just, just too busy. I got too much going on. Like I, I, can't, I can't be leaning into Jesus and asking for him to help me or to guide me or to show me how to do this more efficiently. Like, I need to do this on my own. I'm that important. It's a pride of busyness. Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, was extremely busy. Okay, now listen, he didn't have an iPhone, I get it, or an iMac, like listen, but he wrote many catechisms, theses, he started a reformation, he wrote hymns, he translated scripture, and amidst all of this, he proclaimed, he said, I have so much to do today that I'm going to, I'm going to need to spend at least three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. He's going, I'm so busy, I'm so overwhelmed, I have so many things on my to-do list that there's no way that I'm gonna accomplish it unless I spend at least three hours on my knees with King Jesus. Dang. We're like, hey God, I got so much on my to-do list, got a lot of important work that I'm doing, a lot of it for you, some of it for me, and here's the deal, I got so much, it's a busy day, three minutes. Download it, God. Tell me what. Tell me. Tell me what you want me to major in, God. Tell me if I should date this person or not, God. Tell me if I should make this career move or not, God. Hey, listen. You got thirty seconds, God. Clock's ticking. Let's do this. True, I don't know why I don't hear from God. I don't know why he doesn't answer me. I give him three, four minutes on a good day. Most days, when I'm not too busy. Like that's, listen, we, we can kind of laugh and smile. And are like, that's ridiculous. But it's a majority of our lives. It's a majority of our lives. Another thing through pride, I think, is performance. We've talked a little bit about this one, but in Matthew 6, verse 5, Jesus says, Whenever you pray, he said, You must not be like the hypocrites, which that word is just, think like actor, it's theater says, you must not be like these actors because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Don't just run your mouth or try to fill the space with words like these people who don't know Jesus. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words, don't be like them because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask them. I think that many of us, we don't pray because, because we feel like it's a performance. Like, we, we've talked about that. Like, in just a little bit, we're going to have some space and time to pray together. And, we'll, and many of us, like, I know it. I, I feel it. And I'm not trying to, like, call you out. I just want to, like, speak truth into your life. As you go, oh, I don't feel comfortable. I don't want to pray. Like, what do, we, what do you mean? Or we'll use language like, I don't know how to pray. Like, wait, what? You don't know how to talk? No, I don't, I don't know how. Oh, you don't know how to perform. And it leaves you insecure. And the real talk is, is a lot of times we're insecure about our performance because everyone else's performance is really good. Dang, they took a class on that. I, I bet you God, like, man, they, their voice even shifted and changed. They use words that I've never heard them use before. Man, if we, if we feel like that if we babble, we use really Christianese jargon, then all of a sudden it unlocks something. And the, and the real talk, listen. I want, I want to speak to two sides really quick. If you're in this room and you feel that pressure and that weight to pray for other people, to impress them, listen, Scripture says, you got your reward. God didn't hear it. They heard it. They were impressed, but God wasn't. And so your prayer just got stopped. Like, for you, what, what would it look like for you actually to go, hey, listen, this is where I'm really at. This is how I really talk. This is what I'm really frustrated about. This is where I really am. That maybe would actually create space for other people to go, oh, oh, okay, maybe maybe I, I don't know, I, I can talk like that. Like I, I can pray like that. John Bunyan, he said, When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without heart. The last thing here that keeps us from prayers, I think we deny the position. This, my people who call by my name, that you and I don't pray because we don't know our identity in Christ or, I'll take it a step further, we don't actually know Jesus. We don't know our, our position in Christ or we don't know him. Many of us don't approach the throne of grace with the confidence that's been given to us, that's been purchased, like because we don't know our position before God. We think that maybe... Um, that, that God's too far, or he's too distant, or he's too important, or he's got so much going on that like, I, I don't wanna be a bother to God. Like, I've even heard someone say like, hey, Drew, like you wouldn't approach the president of the United States. You wouldn't just barge into the Oval Office to talk to the president if you didn't have a, an appointment or the proper clearance, right? Right. Unless you're the president's child. Unless you're the president's son or daughter. And they don't need an appointment. They don't need proper clearance. Like that was kind of one of the things that marked JFK's presidency is that his children would oftentimes, while he was meeting with world leaders, would interrupt and just barge into the Oval Office. Why? Because yeah, yeah, their daddy was one of the most powerful men in the world, but, but that was their daddy. And many of us, we don't approach the throne of grace with confidence because we don't realize that we're children. But like our, our identity, as we stand before God, he sees us as righteous, he sees us as holy, he sees us as perfect, not because of your response or your reaction or your performance, but because they see Jesus. He sees Jesus, covers you. And so we don't know our identity or we don't know Jesus. And this morning, if you're in this space and you, you don't know Jesus, I want you to know, one, you're in a safe place. Two, I, I want you to know why prayer is such a big deal for us. Why we get so excited about this. That, that The whole narrative of scripture, it really boils down to, it's really complex and you can get lost in it, I get it. But really, if you simplify it, here, here's the whole narrative. That you and I were created By God, We were created to to know him, to pursue intimacy with him as he pursues intimacy with us. So the scripture starts with with Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day in the garden with God. There was this intimacy, this relationship with God. But Adam and Eve at some point get this idea in their head that God's holding out on them. They doubt the promises of God and they're like, God, maybe we got to do this on our own. And so they step out of what God, like the the, the plan that God put into motion. They said, we'll do this our way. We want to be God. We want to call the the shots. And in that moment, sin entered the world and fractured it. It broke it. We all know that. We all feel it. Like none of us watch the news or scroll through social media and go, this is exactly how it was intended to be. But go man, something's wrong, something's broken. And the entire Old Testament that we're walking through in our Bible reading plan right now is all one giant promise that God sees you and in our, in our brokenness, and He realizes that no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you perform, you cannot fix yourself. You can't. You've tried it. It's not working. And God looks at his people and says, listen, I'm going to live the life that you couldn't live. I'm going to die the death that you deserve because of your cosmic treason towards God. And so God leaves his throne room, puts on flesh, and moves into our neighborhood. And we called him Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. He's here. And Jesus was willing to live a perfect life pursuing intimacy with you and I to the point that he would lay his life down on a cross, our cross, that was our death penalty for our treason. And the wrath of God poured out on Jesus and he dies, he's placed into the tomb and three days later, he raises from the grave. Why? Proving that he has the power over sin and death. And anyone who's willing to to push all the chips in, who's willing to bow a knee and say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are master. I want to follow you. I'll let you be the captain of the ship. I'm stepping out and I'm letting you get behind the steering wheel. You call the shops. You lead. When I lead, it doesn't end up well. I want you to be the master. That anyone who calls Jesus Lord in that moment, do not miss this. The moment that we bow a knee, that the scripture says that we are adopted into the family, no longer slaves in sin, but now adopted children, that God looks at us and He says, "That's my boy, that's my girl." And that because of that gospel, that you and I have the opportunity to pursue intimacy with this God. like prayer, like, what a gift! That the God of the universe would say, I want to hang out with you. There's a standing appointment with you because you're my child. Like, listen, when you talk, I lean in. I listen. Like, I, I, I want to take care of you. I want to meet your needs. Like, that God would want to meet with you and I. Church, what a mind-blowing truth that the God of the universe wants to meet with you. Wants to hear your heart. It wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And then most of the time we have to have sermons that rally us and convince us to pray more as though it's this major duty. That prayer is a pursuit of intimacy with God. So with that in mind, I want to give us really quick, I'm going to fly through this, really practical ways to how we can pray. Okay, really practical ways. And we've used this before, but it's just using the acronym PRAY. And here's what it is. The first letter P, it stands for praise. Now when you carve out space and time, a few minutes with God, start by telling him who he is and what you're thankful for. This is, gets us, gets our heart in this really cool posture and place to begin connecting with God in prayer. Psalm 100, verse 1 through 5, it says, Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His, His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good and His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. That's is a great place to start your prayer. We praise, we worship. The second part here is we just repent. And repentance is just admitting to God your faults and opening up space for him to convict you of areas that you've stepped off the path or things that you've done that's put a friction or or a fraction in between your relationship with him. It's a moment where you go, hey, God, I, I've viewed things this way, but I'm seeing that it should be this way, and I, I want to follow you. I missed it. And once again, like if you think about this, all this goes back to it's a pursuit of intimacy. Like if, if I've offended you, and I come to you and go, hey, I, I dropped the ball. I, I missed it. Like I, 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 whether i meant to or not, like I, I hurt your feelings, and I'm sorry, and I don't want to do that again. Can I get a do-over? Think about that. Is that not an invitation into deeper intimacy? So repentance, we repent. Isaiah 6, 5, Isaiah sees Jesus high and lifted up in all of his glory, and Isaiah's immediate response to him is, woe is me, I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. There's a repentance. When we come into God's presence, we go, hey, this is where I'm missing it. God, I want to give it to you. The third thing, is the A, is ask. Philippians 4, 6 would tell us, present your request to God. Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Twelve times in the gospel, Jesus says, don't miss this, whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. Whatever you ask. Now, James is going to tell us you don't get it because you're seeking his hand and not his face. But I think if we actually... If Jesus was serious about that whole prayer thing, I think our lives would be radically changed. This is where we just go, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I need. I'm approaching you like a father. And then the last piece here, the why, is yield. Now what I love about the word yield, if you think about pulling up to a yield sign, there's two things that happen. One, you pause. And two, usually you're yielding to someone else, so you're like, yes, you, you go ahead. So in yielding this part of prayer, this is so transformative. This is the hardest part. Okay, don't miss it. The first three, you got it. This is the hardest part. At the end of it, just be able to stop talking and just pause. To God, I've, I've, I've reminded myself of who you are You're a good father that you see me, that you love me, that you've been faithful every step of the way. God, I've repented of of the areas that I haven't trusted you. I've doubted your promise. I've tried to do this on my own. I'm asking, I'm laying before you the request I have. And then now, I just want to sit with you. I want to pause. I want to give you an opportunity to speak back. How often we, we, we bring our request before God and we're like, God, this is what I need. Okay, got to go to work. See. And God's like, I was going to, oh, oh, okay, cool. See you tomorrow morning. And we show up and we do all the talking and we never give God space to actually speak back to us. What if? What if he wants to speak to us to to create space to actually listen? That's my Psalm 4610 would say, be still, stop, be quiet and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. And then the yield part is just going, okay, God, yes, my life is yours. Do whatever you want with it. Prayer is the pursuit of intimacy with God. And I'll end with this this morning. I told you a story about Helen Rosevear. In her biography, uh, she tells this story uh, about, she's on the mission field, and there's a mother at the mission station that died after giving birth to a premature baby. And she said that they tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle that they had was beyond repair. So Dr. Rosevere asked the children, there's children around, to pray for the baby and for the baby's sister. And one of The Congolese girls responded. Don't miss this, This it's so cool. Dear Lord, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, true story, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly as they opened it and much to their surprise under some clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the same little girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig deeper in the box, exclaiming, if God sent that, I'm sure he also sent a doll. And she was right. Buried beneath all this stuff was a little doll. This is super cool. Five months prior, Five months earlier, a group of ladies in a part of a local church were praying for Helen and for her work in the Congo. And as they were praying, they felt the Holy Spirit tell them to send some clothes and specifically to send a hot water bottle and a little doll. church, our heavenly father knew in advance about this Congolese child's sincere request. And he spoke to a group of ladies five months prior who were praying. Because prayer is the pursuit of intimacy with God. Prayer, yes, awakens our heart. Think about Dr. Helen or think about this little girl like how in their faith and their affections for Jesus had shifted and changed because of this prayer. The prayer awakens our community. I think about these ladies and their group praying and hearing from God together deciding to actually meet a need. And then prayer awakens us to what God is doing around us and in the nations. Prayer helps us see God moving and then prayer gives us the courage to join him often, church, we are the answer to the prayers we are praying. Prayer is the pursuit of intimacy with God. Prayer awakens our heart to greater intimacy with Jesus. Prayer awakens our community to greater intimacy with Jesus. Prayer awakens the heart of those in our city who don't yet know Jesus so that they can experience intimacy with Him. As we enter into this next 30 days of prayer and fasting starting on January 31st, could you begin to imagine if 300 of us, 100 people at ACC downtown, 100 people at Mission Community Church, not counting those in Houston or outside of Dallas or in different parts of America. united our hearts and begin to pray for God to do what only He could do. If God is faithful to deliver a hot water bottle and a baby doll, what could He do in your life? Or or your house church's life? Or in, in your neighbor's life? Well church, we're crazy enough to find out. And we want to invite you into that journey as well. So what I want to do is I want to give us just 120 seconds for you just to just sit for a moment. And ask God, what was he saying? Is he what's what's this look like? Is he speaking something to your heart? Journal it down. And then in Shortly after that, we're going to get into some space just to even pray with one another to actually put some of this into practice, not just talk about prayer, but actually do it. Oh, cool. It's going to be a little weird. I get it. We'll go for it though, okay? So take this moment and ask God, what are you saying to me? And what's obedience look like?
0: Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the RIM Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.